right, well, well, we will be in 2 Chronicles 33 this morning. 2 Chronicles 33. We're in the Old Testament. It's right after you got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, then First and Second Chronicles, and they come before uh, some of the other ones like Nehemiah, Ezra. They get smaller. So, uh, but Second Chronicles chapter thirty-three is where we'll be. I'm excited to dig into to God's word. Um, as you're turning there, one of the things you see in Kings and Chronicles. Uh, if you've not really read through the Bible uh, before, if you read through this section of the Bible, a lot of times in Kings and Chronicles, you have, uh, it's it's almost like two different Gospels. It's almost like Matthew and Mark. You get kind of two different uh, views uh, of the same, you know, a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same things that happened during the, the time period when they were kings ruling uh, in Israel and Judah. Uh, but in, in this section, actually, we're kind of around where I'm at. Instead of it being, uh, it's it's kind of Kings and Isaiah. So sometimes it's in three spots. It's in Kings, Chronicles, and Isaiah uh, almost three times, uh, some of these stories. So it, it, it's neat when you get and you dig in and you see, uh, uh, you know, what God has. And of course, uh, just like the Gospels, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, if if there if they appear in more than one of them, it, it it's you get a little bit different of a a point of view in each one. It's still inspired, but isn't it great that God used men? He inspired these authors to give us the Word of God, but some of it's in different perspectives. You know, uh, you know, I've said before. You know, when you read the Book of Luke, he goes into a lot more details. He's a physician. That's what he was. He was a doctor. So when it talks about some sicknesses, he gives you a little more uh, detail than some of the others would, because that's that's his specialty. And you think about it, God did that on purpose. Because when you and I, we've got different, uh, you know, different backgrounds, different likes, different things, uh, you know, so sometimes we can see uh, if you and I were describing the same thing, we wouldn't describe it exactly alike. We would, you know, you know, pour into it our different things and our backgrounds. So I, I'm glad that the word of God is true. I'm glad we can dig into it. We haven't been in the Old Testament for a little bit, so we're digging back into here. But Second Chronicles 33, verse 1, we're going to talk about King Manasseh this morning. It says Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 50 and five years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down and he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. And he also built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said in Jerusalem shall my name be forever and he built elders for all the host of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord and he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger and he set a carved image the idol which he had made in the house of God of which the God had said to David and to Solomon his son in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel will I put my name forever 
Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel uh, from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to all uh, that which I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord uh, brought them the captains of the brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of our fathers. And last verse, he prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplications and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord he was God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help me today. Lord, that you'd fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, not so I can get the glory, but so you can. Lord, help us to understand your word today. And Lord, I ask that the Spirit would touch hearts today. Lord, that it wouldn't just go into our ears and our minds, but also it would affect us. Lord, help us to apply your word to our lives. And Lord, if there's any lost, I pray that they'd come to know you before it's too late. And in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. amen. So we see right here, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Uh, so he, his father was King Hezekiah. Uh, so here's the thing. A lot of times in this section, you will see where here's the next king, here's how old he was, here's how long he reigned. And normally we would just kind of skip to the next verse. Normally there's not a whole lot in a verse like this, but one of the things I want us to think about is he's 12, so that's pretty young. He reigned for a very long time when it comes to a king, but you think about Hezekiah was his father. Now Hezekiah was a really good king, one of the best uh, that they had in Israel. Uh, and, and when he got sick, he remembered the it's one of the big stories in his life. He got sick unto death. He was at the point of death. And the prophet Isaiah came to him in 2 Kings 20 and said, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. So it got really serious right there. They were saying, hey, uh, Isaiah was telling him, hey, you got to, have you ever heard the world? You know, the world borrows phrases from the Bible and they don't even realize it. Set your house in order. You know, that's from the Bible. That's what the prophet told him. He said, hey, you're going to die. So Hezekiah prays to the Lord and the Lord gives him 15 more years of life. And as a sign, he makes the sun go backward 10 degrees on the sundial. So that happens. So you think about if God had given him 15 more years of life and Manasseh's 12, Manasseh was born after that. Okay, just simple math, you know. I know I don't like to do it very often, even though I'm a banker, but, uh, you know, so he's 12. This happened at 15. So this was during that extra period of life uh, that Manasseh was born. And, and here's the thing about Hezekiah. Unlike you and I, I don't know when I'm going to die. We don't know. But Hezekiah knew exactly when he would die because the Lord said, I'm giving you 15 more years of life. So he knew at the end of those 15 years, he was done. So to me, uh, he's been given something that the, uh, the majority of us have not. He knew when he would be alive for. And when his son was born a couple years into this 15 years, he knew that he only had this amount of time 
to, to teach him, uh, uh, you know, to be a dad to him, and that he would die. See, again, this is strange. Normally, we would know this, but he knew he'd only be alive for the first 12 years of his son's life. So that's something we need to think about. Now, Manasseh would have grown up in the palace, right? He's the son of a king. He grew up in the palace. They're in Judah, in the city of Jerusalem. And at this time, there was a long period of prosperity, okay? Uh, there was peace for a long time. Uh, you know, at this, one of the things Hezekiah did that was wrong was right after he was healed by God, uh, some people from Babylon, from the king, came up and they had letters and they said, we're great, we're so excited that you're healed. And he, took the, he takes these messengers and this embassy, whatever you call them, from Babylon, and he shows them all the treasure that they have. Here, let me show you the treasure house. Here's all the gold we have. Here's the armor we have. Here's everything. And God said, God sent the prophet afterward and basically says, I can't believe you did that. Right? Why, why are you, I just healed you, I just gave you more life, and you in pride and foolishness showed the, your future enemy, you showed them all, everything you have. And the prophet said, one day they're going to carry away everything to Babylon that you showed them. And it did take place. So Manasseh grew up, we know there was a 10 year period of peace. Uh, and uh, after the, the healing uh, of this time, uh, and then, so long prosperity, but at 10 years old, or, or actually when Manasseh was 10 years old, the Assyrian army, this is the previous chapter, surrounds Jerusalem. They send Hezekiah letters threatening and saying, your God's not going to be able to help you this time, right? We're taking, just like we've conquered everyone else, just like we've conquered uh, Israel to the north, your brethren, and taken them captive, we are going to take you captive too. So now Manasseh is 10 years old when this happens. What's Hezekiah do? He takes the letters, he goes into the house of the Lord, he spreads out the letters, yeah. and he prays to the Lord and asks the Lord for help. Remember that story? That's a huge one in Hezekiah's life too. And the Lord, what's he do? That night... He kills 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. The angel of the Lord wipes them out. And in the morning, they decide they're not going to fight and they go home. Okay. Manasseh's 10 when this happened. So then two years later, Hezekiah dies. So, okay, now you got, here's kind of where we're at. And in verse two, we have a summary of Manasseh's life as king. Here's the summary. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. That's not a good summary, is it? If God was going to narrow down for one sentence your life, you would not want it to be this. Right? He said he did evil, and so evil, he was just like the ones, the Canaanites, the Hivites, everyone else that was in the promised land, before they were driven out, he acted just like them. And here's the problem. God's people were supposed to be set apart. Right? They were supposed to be holy. They were supposed to be different. They were not supposed to worship idols and do any of the rest of these things. They were supposed to live righteously so that way the heathen nations could see uh, a righteous people serving a righteous God and that God blessing them. But instead, Manasseh turned to all sorts of evil and abominations. 
In fact, you look at verses 3, 4, 5, and 7, and what do we see? Idol after idol after idol brought in, groves brought in, another way to worship idols. Uh, and then, in fact, not only that, uh, he's so his father had broken all that stuff down. Hezekiah cleaned house, and there was a spiritual revival and everything else. But all Manasseh did was bring back all that wickedness, all that evil, everything else. In fact, verse 3, and worshiped all the host of heaven. He said, you know what? We're going to worship all the constellations and everything else we can find. We're going to make even more altars, even more stuff than they had before. And not only that, it gets worse. Verse four, and he built altars in the house of the Lord. Inside the temple walls, they're putting altars for evil, wicked, false God idols inside of God's house. What an abomination. What wickedness. Not only that, uh, uh, verse, what is it? Verse seven, he carved an image and put that idol inside the house of the Lord. As if we're going to have the Ark of the Covenant over here and we're going to have my idol over here. What wickedness. He was evil. Not only that, but what else do we see in verse six in the second half? He observed times. That would be your astrological signs, your horoscopes. Uh, what else did he, he does? He, he used enchantments, uh, used witchcraft, dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards and wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So he's got all of these familiar spirits. Those are those psychics that talk to dead people and everything else. He's doing all of that stuff. And basically you can uh, uh, put it all together. He's dabbling in the occult and not just dabbling. He's going all the way. And here's the thing. In the Old Testament, uh, people were to be put to death that were doing this stuff. If you were a witch, a wizard, doing a medium, any of these things, they were to put you to death. They were to get rid of it. That's how much God said to stay away from it. And remember the first king, King Saul. Remember, he started off good, but later on, when God rejected him, he's going to a, a familiar spirit to try to figure out what to do next. And that didn't work out for him. God said to get rid of it. Not only that, Revelation 21 says, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If you wondered where the, here, they're grouping it into the people that are going straight to hell for this, this, these things. And then in Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are manifest are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, violence, and he goes on and on and on. Of the which I tell you before, and as I have told you in time past, that ye which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God is saying in no certain terms, you get in this stuff, you're not going to heaven. It's not, you can't mix it together. He's saying, I don't care if the church down the road in Ashley mixes Jesus and the occult together. You are not going to heaven with Jesus plus the occult. And you're thinking, why? Mike, why, why is it so bad? Why is this, is the Bible just trying to take away our fun? You know, what's wrong with doing the horoscope? What's wrong with seeing a psychic at the county fair or whatever else? What's, what is wrong with this? Why is it so bad? Because I'll tell you the truth. Behind all of it is demonic activity. Every bit of it. Fallen angels are behind all of it. Because you're thinking, Mike, well, what if I want to talk to this dead relative? 
And, and I've heard people go to a psychic and they can conjure up the dead relative and say things that only I and that dead relative know. So I know there's got to be truth to it, Mike. And I'll say, well, it's actually not a carnival trick. There's reality to it. But it's not what you think's happening behind the scenes. I'll lift the curtain behind you and tell you exactly how that psychic is able to do that. The same demon that was alive during your dead relative's time is the same one that's still alive today. The same one that listened to them talk and watched them live is the same one that can tell you the same things that they did. That's it. That's it. You're thinking, Mike, is that it? Yes. That's it. It's all demonic. It's all wicked. You start opening yourself up to that stuff and it will get worse and worse. Many years ago at this church, we had someone, we had a family that was delivered from this stuff and they told us stories in our youth group and I was just astounded by how bad it gets. It starts off with something small, right? The Ouija board, something else like that. And then it gets so wicked very quickly. Wicked. And God said, I want you to stay away from that. I want you to cut it off. I don't want you to dabble in it. I want you to get as far away from you can in it because there's no truth there. It's deception. Imagine just opening the door to our mind and allowing the devil to come right in. That's what you're doing. And he said, don't you do it. You stay away from it. I don't care how popular it is on TV. I don't care if your friends are doing it. You stay away from that stuff. You stay away. We're not living in darkness. We're not fellowshipping with darkness, right? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's what the Bible says. Anyway, there's no sense inviting these things in. It's not fun. It gets worse. So we think of all these things that Manasseh was doing. He's not only as a king, he's bringing it into the children of Israel. Uh, the, the Judah at this time, he's bringing it in and not only allowing it, pro- promoting it. But the worst thing that he did is the beginning of verse six. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And we see this whenever in the Bible you see passing through the fire when it talks about this this is the worst kind of wickedness there is so in this valley right outside Jerusalem they had this giant bronze statue it was sitting down it was a human with an ox head and it had its hands like this it was hollow they would put a raging fire they get a raging fire going in and that statue would start to glow with such heat and what he would do and what they would do, this is the highest form of sacrifice. They might do, uh, you know, they might sacrifice a lamb. They might sacrifice, you know, a cow or something like that. But the highest level of sacrifice was a baby, a human baby. And that's what he did. The hands are open. The, it is on fire. It is flaming, raging heat. They literally would set that infant on the hands of that idol and it would burn to death. And as they sat the infant there, they would play drums as loud as they could and like a rhythm and chant and everything else to drown out the screams of the baby. That is how wicked it got. And when it talks about the levels of wickedness, the worst wickedness you'll see in the Bible is this. They'll say that's as wicked as you can get. Is when you're gonna when you're gonna offer an innocent child to an idol like that. That's as worse wickedness as you can get as a nation. 
yet. What are we doing today? What are we doing? Not on the altar of some made-up God, but on the altar of convenience, on the altar of lust, on the altar of everything else, ripping out innocent babies and killing them. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Whether it's popular or not, it's the truth. So he has reached this pinnacle of wickedness. Verse 10 says, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. I didn't read verses 8 and 9, but basically God is reminding them of the promises, saying, Hey, if you obey me, if you obey my will and my word, you will never leave this land. You'll never have to worry about enemies. You'll never have to worry about any of this. But they would not listen. They just got more wicked and more wicked over and over again. And, and they just wouldn't listen to God, wouldn't listen to his prophets, wouldn't listen to anything. And I think about what a similar time we're living in today, isn't it? We are are living in a wicked world, but worse than that, uh, we are living in a time uh, where, where here's the thing, that people aren't listening. They're, they're not listening to the word of God. They're not listening to anything. They're just getting progressively wicked. Here's the problem, is when it comes into the church, right? These are God's people. They knew better. They had the law. They watched God bring them out of bondage. All of these things that God did for them gave them a promised land, yet they're going to Turn to these false idols. It is just incredibly wicked and depraved how they had gotten. Yet that's what the devil wants inside of every one of our churches is the exact same thing. He wants you to uh, claim Jesus. He wants you to say you're all right, but he wants you to do every form of idolatry, every form of wickedness, every form of unrighteousness and sin and transgression. He wants you to do all of it and think you're okay. And here's the problem. The preacher preaches against it. The Bible says against it, are you listening or are you stopping your ears like they would and said, we're not listening to you. Isaiah, we're not listening to you. The greatest prophet, probably the greatest one that ever walked this earth, they had at that time and they didn't want to listen to him. Wow. Wow. They didn't want to hear it. We're going to live our own lives. We're going to do what we want. Maybe we're not offering our children to Molech. But are we offering our children to the world and giving them over to this world instead of giving them and dedicating them to the Lord? Are we choosing the way of the world? Or are we being obedient to the Lord? What's the difference? What's the difference? And you think of how did Manasseh get to this point? How did he had such a good father? How did he get this low? His father was a godly king. We don't have all the details, but here's the thing. I, I already mentioned to you before, Hezekiah knew that he would die when Manasseh was 12. And here's the thing. When he spread out the letters, remember that? Manasseh was 10 years old. And, and, and I'm just using my spiritual imagination. And I'm trying to think of things, but I think... Hezekiah should have said, you know what? This is the biggest problem facing us right now. The enemy's surrounding us. We have no help but with God. I need to not only spread out the letters myself, I need to bring my son and we'll both go to the house of the Lord. We'll both spread it out. We'll both pray and we'll both call on the Lord. That way he can see my faith and he can see what God can do. Amen. But Hezekiah went by himself. What about you? You coming in here by yourself, you bringing them in. How's, how's it at home? You don't know when you're going to die. 
But even if you live a long life, you only have a short window with your children. And they move out, right? They move away. They start their own lives. What are you going to do in that short window? Now, we can second guess Hezekiah. And here's the thing. As parents, we pray for wisdom. We do all these things and seek God's face. But you know that children are going to make their own choices. Even if they're raised in the best of homes, even if they're raised in front of godly examples, uh, they still he still made that choice. We can't blame Hezekiah. We can't blame anything he did or didn't do. I'm telling you what, Manasseh, he should have had an example of godliness that he should have carried on, but he didn't. And then what happens? Look at verse 11. Wherefore the Lord brought him upon the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, bound him in fetters, and carried him to Babylon. The children of Israel were never supposed to be overrun if they followed the Lord. But as soon as they turned from the Lord, he allowed the enemy to come in. Right? And they arrest King Manasseh. They put a hook. Archaeologists have found pictures of what the Assyrians would do. They put a hook in his nose or, you know, ring in his nose of metal. They, they tied a rope to it, put him in chains and bound him. And an Assyrian soldier would be leading him like a dog all the way to Babylon. You think it. A king that grew up in the palace during time of prosperity. Things were going great. Everything looked good. The idol worship was on full, uh, you know, just full tilt. And then all of a sudden the Lord and he is in the hands of the enemy. He's being dragged by the heathen to Babylon. Look at his life now. Right? I believe he's hit the lowest point by far of his entire life. Don't you? From king, now to prisoner. And I believe the Lord was trying to give him a wake-up call. It said in verse 10, did you see that? The Lord spoke to Manasseh, but he wouldn't hearken, he wouldn't listen. Now he's trying to get his attention. And here's the thing. Sometimes people will realize their sin and rebellion just with a sermon or a song or something like that. But sometimes people need to be taken to the lowest level to where there's no hope to where it just uh, uh, nothing looks good. And that's what it took for Hezekiah or that's what it took for Manasseh. Don't make the Lord take that with you. I tell you what. I'd rather he take you to the lowest point than you go to hell lost. That's right. Amen. Right. But it was not looking good for him. I'm glad the story doesn't end there. Look at verse 12. We're almost done. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God yeah. and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Yes. There he is in affliction. And I don't know what happened, but he probably called out on Molech first, called out to Balaam, called out to the witches, called out to the wizards, called out to uh, the mediums and everything else. And when none of them could help him, when none of them could free him, when none of them could give him any hope, finally he looked up. He, he, had, he had exhausted everything on this earth. He looked up to the Lord, his God, and he cried out to him. What's it say? He humbled himself greatly and turned to the Lord for help. That sin had taken him further than he wanted to go. It cost him more than he wanted to pay. He was at the end of the line. He was leading to death or to bondage or whatever, but he cried out to the Lord. Isn't that amazing thing? But here's the question. What's the Lord going to do? Right? 
the most wicked, vile king, is now crying out to the Lord. What's the Lord going to do? Is he going to say, well, you got what you deserved? You didn't listen? I told you and told you. You ignored me. You rebelled against me. You offered your children to this wicked idol. Is that what the Lord did? Look at verse 13. And he prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication. That's the Lord hearing his prayer and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. He had adopted every type of sin. He desecrated the temple. He put an altar and and every form of wickedness and everything else. He offered his children to idol worship. And the Lord could have ignored his cries. But that's not what happened. He humbles himself greatly. He realizes the idols are nothing. And everything else brought him into captivity and to bondage. And he says, you know what? I've ignored you, Lord. But now I'm turning to you. The Lord didn't... uh, He'd stop up his ears. The Lord heard his cries, heard his supplication. Not only did, see, this is amazing. You think about Samson. Remember, Samson messed up, gave the secret away. He's in fetters. He's being humiliated by the Philistines. He prays to the Lord. The Lord gives him strength to bring down, you know, the temple, all that stuff. And he, his life's over and he kills more in his death than in his life. See, in my thought. That's what Manasseh deserved, right? Okay, if the Lord's going to give him mercy, at least give him mercy, but keep him in jail, right? He did a lot of wickedness, a lot of evil. Do you see what the Lord does? He not only forgives him after hearing his cries, he restores him back to the throne in Jerusalem. I don't even know how that happened. How do you go from in bondage with a hook in your nose being led like an animal into the enemy territory to back on the throne again? Only God can do that. Right? That's the same way God can take someone in the gutter, in the pit of despair. This world has thrown them away. There's no hope left. There's nothing they can bring. Yet God can raise them up. Uh, Why? Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. He died on the cross for all of this wickedness, all of this sin. He, uh, he, He carried our burdens. He bore the punishment. And there on the cross, what did he say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do and as he died there on the cross they uh, jabbed his side the blood flowed out it's the same blood that washed away the sins of the world and I'm telling you they buried him but he didn't stay in that tomb on the third day he rose from the dead victoriously why so that we were in sin maybe didn't we maybe we didn't commit the same sin but our sin would have led us to the same place to bondage and the enemy and to death yet there's forgiveness with Jesus Christ he put him back on the throne and not only that if you go on reading he then tears down the idols tears down the altars and starts living the life he should have all along and that what God can do turn the most wicked king into one that's now a good king God can do that he can do that in your life too he can I don't care how bad you've been 
Maybe you're saying, you know what? I've sinned too much. There's no way God could forgive me. If God could forgive wicked King Manasseh for offering infants to an idol to die and to be burned, if he could heal or if he could forgive Apostle Paul who thought he was doing God's will and had Christians murdered and families torn apart, if he could forgive those two murderers, he can forgive anybody. Yes. That's the mercy of God. There are no limits to the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If you will follow what Manasseh did and humble yourself and say, I'm done with this life and call on the name of the Lord. That's how you'll be saved. And he'll give you a new life. But you know, what really shook me. There's a lot of things that shook me in the story. But he's in his lowest point. He humbles himself. He turns to the Lord forgiveness. And he sees mercy from the Lord. Then look at the last part of verse 13 again. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. You notice something? This is the king of Judah. His father, he, he, the first 12 years, there he's in his father, under his father, who's the king, who's a good king. He sees what a good king is. He sees prosperity. He sees blessings, right? He sees all this stuff. He sees God move with the Assyrian army there when he's 10 years old. And then as he becomes a king, he's under blessings and everything else. He doesn't see the Lord in any of that. You see that? He doesn't know that the Lord is God in any of that time of prosperity. And then in his time of rebellion, when he's setting up altars and idols and everything else, he doesn't see the Lord in that either. And in fact, he doesn't see that the Lord, he is God, uh, even when he's calling out to him at that point. You know when he really sees who the Lord really is? The mercy. The response to the Lord. Do you see that? In all his life, in all his experiences, it wasn't until he has the hook in his nose, he's greatly humbling himself, he's crying out to the Lord, and the Lord responded. Then he knew the Lord was God. You know how this world's going to know the Lord is God? Mercy. 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 Not with I told you so. Not with you get what you deserve. Not with you, you just stay there because you really deserve worse. So you just stay that way. It's mercy. Mercy from us to others, but also showing people the mercy in our life, right? Let me tell you what God did for me. Because I was King Manasseh, not doing the same things. But I was still dead in my sin. And if I would have continued onward, I got saved at nine at a young age. The Lord kept me from a lot of things. If I wouldn't have turned, if I wouldn't have called on Jesus' name at a nine-year-old and kept living, I would have walked down some of the same roads as he did. And some of you have. That's what we need to show this world. You want to see the power of God? It's not in accepting sin. It's not in coexisting. It's not in compromising. It's not in saying, oh, Jesus is your pal. It's by saying, hey, he died for your sins. 
and he can change your life and give you a new start, even though you don't deserve it. He did not deserve to get the throne again. But the Lord did that. Put him right back on the throne. And he got a second chance to be king. And his life was never the same. Now he made reforms. I'm going to read one more verse. He made all kinds of reforms. He got rid of the altars. He cleaned house. He did all of that. And brought the real worship back into the house of the Lord. But look at verse 17. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places. You see that? Yet unto the Lord their God only. They tried to mix things. Right? You and I try to go against God. And he'll forgive. And he'll give you a new start. But there's going to be consequences. For those people around us. They watched the idolatry in the high places. They were involved in it. And now they can't break from it. They're saying I still want it. Aren't you glad God can forgive? I am. But let's not wait another day for his mercy. Let's turn it around today. I'm going to ask everyone to stand.